This one's going to be difficult. I already know it. I've been trying to mentally prepare for it, but I just want to go ahead and do it. Um, for those that listened to the last episode, I expressed how I wanted to start 2021 off with a podcast about my mother and everything that what uh, everything that happened and just to kind of get some stuff off of my mind. Hopefully, you know what I'm saying? Maybe it'll help. Um, of course, death is is painful. It's difficult. Some people are able to handle it better than others. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. I mean, actually, it's a few things. Um, where I want to start at is at what age should you discuss family members or friends leaving this earth with your children? That's one thing I kind of want to touch on. And then um, for friends and family, when is it appropriate to contact those that are uh, impacted the most? And I say that because when my mother did pass, man, it wasn't even an hour. And like my phone was just blowing up phone calls, text messages. And I get the gesture and I understand that you want to show support and show that you, you care for reaching out. But it's like that was way too soon for me. And I can only speak for myself. So it's going to be a lot of respectfully disagrees in this episode. But um, the tone of this is just me me talking. Like I said, hopefully it's kind of therapeutic, kind of help get some stuff off my mind. And for my brother who listens to the podcast, hopefully, you know what I'm saying, it don't trigger different emotions for him. Uh, not sure if my grandmother ever listens to it or not, but um, hopefully, uh, you know, to, it won't bother too many people. At least I hope not. My intentions are not to disturb people with what's going on or what has happened, per se. But where I'm going to start at is... Um, my wife took the kids out. Um, they went to go visit her, her mother. And shout out to my mother-in-law, Miss Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Ward, because she's been a huge help, not only for me, but for the kids throughout this entire process. Um, at any time when different events took place, she said, you know, she's one phone call away. They'll come pick the kids up or let them stay at her house for a few days. And that's been a tremendous help because I was totally against letting my kids see what all my mother was going through. And that's where my original I respectfully disagree comes in at because in the beginning, when we first found out that she had cancer, um, we were faced with a decision that none of us in a million years thought we would have to have to face. And it's like, you know, like I said in the last episode, I'm from a little small town. The closest hospital is probably a 30 minute ride. And with that hospital, it's not the best <laughs> of the best. I'm not going to disrespect them or anything, because at the end of the day, they still put their lives on the line to help others. And uh, I, I, I take my hat off to each and every last one of those doctors and nurses and whoever helps, because it's important for that area. But the 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 closest major city is Paducah, Kentucky, which is like a 
45, 50 minute drive, just basically say an hour. So um, we knew that my mother wasn't going to be able to get the proper care, the proper treatment. My older brother lives all the way in Texas. I live in Louisville, which is four or five hours away. And um, we were faced with the decision of who's going to sacrifice to help care for her. And at the time, you know, when you first find out something of that magnitude, your, your mind is racing. So you really just don't know what to think. And you're trying to weigh everything out. So at that time, I was prepared to like, you know what, I'll just have to take FMLA, take a leave of absence and just move back home to help get her to the doctor, help figure all this out. And mentally, that's kind of where I was at. But then we went to the doctor in Paducah. We went to the oncologist in Paducah and they pretty much told us that her tumor was too large. Surgery was not an option and that they pretty much were saying there's there's nothing that they can do. They said that if they did try to treat her, the uh, she would have to do chemo and radiation therapy five days a week. And like I said, that's all the way in Paducah, Kentucky. That's about an hour. So I'm saying to myself, just based on other family members that I've seen with cancer, radiation and chemo is not a joke. I saw my grandmother do it, go through it. And I think she might have been on maybe twice a week, I think. That was right around the time where I was going back and forth from college and stuff like that. But it was just like I saw the toll that it took on my grandmother. My grandmother was a lady who loved to cook, loved to be around the house. And just even if she was experimenting, just baking different things. And she just she enjoyed spending her time cooking or baking and things of that nature. But once she started going through those treatments, that's when we noticed how she was no longer going in the kitchen or if she did go in the kitchen. It took so much of her energy to where she couldn't hardly do it anymore. And for all of us grandchildren, we used to love grandma's breakfast. And it's like homemade preserves and stuff like that. So that's what I'm saying. I'm a little country, little fat boy growing up. So we had the real food, not this stuff that these girls be throwing together now, frozen sausage and stuff like that, little microwave bacon. Like, nah, like my grandmother actually went in biscuits from scratch omelets, pancakes, name it, she, she made it. And like I said, on top of fresh preserves that they canned themselves, she canned them, peaches, strawberries, all kind of things. But when it got to the point to where like, she couldn't hardly do that no more, that's when we knew like, all right, man, like this is really taking a toll on her because she was just always tired. She always talked about how tired she was. So keeping that in mind, Going back to my my mother, I'm saying to myself, five days a week, I'm like, man, that ain't that ain't even no option. So that's when they're like, well, we can call call in hospice. And this was all the way back in August. And, you know, she she cried and cried and we all cried because it's like none of this was expected. None of it was expected. So it's, it's like a shock to us all and shout out to I'm gonna call him my brother because Tink if you listening bro you, you definitely a brother man like shout out to you because unfortunately I don't want to go into his personal business without his permission 
but he also was battling cancer and he went through that and they were able to surgically go in and, and take it out and they got him back on his feet and he's been up and moving for a while now. And uh, he's been through this whole entire process. Me and him have been in communication because while he was fighting that, I was always reaching out to him, checking in on him because he had to have surgery all the way up in Pittsburgh. And with COVID and all of that, there was a lot of times where he was in there alone by itself all the way in Pittsburgh, don't know anybody. So the least I can do is try to reach out, stay in contact, because like I said, with my grandmother, I saw her whole demeanor deteriorate mentally and physically. And a lot of people don't realize that, man, that's important. Feeling like you got somebody in your corner, somebody that's going to boost your spirits. That's the key to it all, in my opinion. Because if you get to feeding on that negative energy, feeding on those negative thoughts, then your brain is going to deteriorate and the rest of your body is going to follow. So that's always been something for me that is like, if I can just give somebody that, you know, words of encouragement, I'm going to always do it. Always do it. And that's why I wanted to keep in touch with him, just kind of help boost his spirits and stuff like that. So we were already in communications through his whole entire process. And he wanted to return the favor for us once he found out about mom. So he put us in connection with the doctors that helped him. So that's when, you know, we were forced with this decision of, do we move her to Louisville with me so we can try to get a second opinion? You know, it's, it's worth a shot because the people down here are telling us basically there's nothing that they can do. So in the midst of all of this, going back all the way, to what I said in the beginning, I'm thinking about my kids now because I know how I saw my grandmother. And that's something that that sticks with me to this day. And, you know, for those who have battled cancer or have family members that have to deal with that, sometimes it makes you throw up. Sometimes you, you know what I'm saying? You lose all kind of weight. You may lose your hair, you know, all kind of things that to some that don't understand may be frightening. And I'm weighing all of this mentally. And I'm saying to myself, my oldest child is eight. My twins are six. I'm not sure if I'm ready for them to experience this. But at the same time, this is our mother we're talking about. So I'm willing to do anything at the drop of a dime to help her. So that's when I told my brother and my dad, like, you know, like this is something that I, I have to think about because I don't want my kids to see this. And it was kind of like, well, you the only option. I'm like, I know I'm the only option. So when I say I got to think about it, I don't mean in terms of I'm contemplating on whether I should do it or not. Of course, I want to do it. I'm going to do it. But I'm saying I need to map it out to where if my kids have to go live with my wife's mother for a little while, then that's that's the alternative. Like, just let the kids go stay with her family members for a while while we try to fight this. So uh, they put my mother on permanent oxygen. So she can't go nowhere without an oxygen tank. So that in its own self is kind of like, you know, my kids don't have experience with all of this. So in my mind, overthinking, it's like, oh, man, what are the kids going to think? But that shows you how things work because the relationship that my mother had with my children 
is a relationship that I, I can't even explain for them to be so young and to be so attached. It's like it's amazing because as much as I dread going to Clinton because it's so boring, not that I don't you know want to go see my loved ones or family or whatever, but it's just like mentally it's just so boring. But for some reason, my kids loved going down there like let's go see granny i want to go see granny and there wasn't a day that didn't go by that she didn't facetime them or you know reach out to them in some some form whether pick up the phone or oftentimes she got on the facebook messenger so she could actually see them so it's like their relationship with her was was amazing so we explained to them that granny's going to come live with us for a little while and they were excited they were super excited. We told them that, you know, Granny's a little sick, so it may be some days where, you know, she she's not going to feel good. We need y'all to be quiet, give her some rest, blah, blah, blah. And they totally understood it. And the first few weeks, you know, the kids just loved her being here. She was able to, you know, be up and be active, play games with them, sit around, watch TV. Aubrey would help take her food and do this and do that. So immediately I'm like, Okay, this was the right decision. So we go to the doctor. Doctors up here look at her uh, x-rays and, and scans and stuff like that. And they're like, okay, this tumor is, is massive. But we'll contact a surgeon and see what he thinks. So by then, we're all the way kind of in September. And we finally get an appointment with the surgeon. He looks at it. He says that he will attempt to remove the tumor. So like I said, this is lung cancer. She's got a tumor on her left lung. And at the time, we, we didn't know how severe it was. So once they scheduled the surgery and all of that, and we went from September to like October because everything was so booked. And that's why I'm saying, you know, I'm making it long and I do apologize. I don't want to bore anybody, but like I said, this is just me to almost want to say I'm talking to myself. I don't care if anybody's listening or turned it off or whatever. This is me just talking to myself. Like I feel like it's, it's necessary to just kind of get it out. And um, throughout this entire process, I'm going in and out of the Browns Cancer Center, downtown Louisville, um, going to the oncologist's office. And you just see all these different people coming in and out, all different shapes, sizes, colors, like cancer does not discriminate. And it's like you're sitting here looking at these people and they just look so helpless. And then I look over here at my mother and she had lost so much weight to the point to where, you know, what I'm saying like it was just it was hard. It was hard to watch. It was hard to see. And if it's hard on me think about the kids so that's where i'm going with all of this my, my first thing is like how soon should you introduce kids to something of this nature so we finally get an appointment for the surgery and they had to remove her left lung they had to remove the entire lung the surgeon said that the tumor was bigger than a soccer ball but a little bit smaller than a basketball so when he sent me the pictures and I saw it, I said to myself, then I was like, dude, this had to have been there for a very long time for this tumor to grow 
to this size to where it took up her entire lung. And the fact that she never complained, she never said anything, she just kept moving. She just kept moving. That was miraculous. Like the doctor is saying that's the largest tumor that he's ever had to remove in his professional career. And I'm saying to myself, like, dude, like, how are you able to do this and go all these years and never complain about pain, never complain about anything? And that shows you the character of my mother. And I'm going to get back into that after I finish what I'm getting ready to say. So fast forward, you know, they got the tumor out and they uh, wanted her to go to rehab. So now she's been out of the house for some weeks now and the kids every day, where's granny at? We want to see granny. But I was hesitant to turn the video on because she's got all these hoses and tubes and stuff running all through her. And I kept saying, I don't want to terrify the kids. I was like, I don't want to scare the kids. But then it got to the point to where she starts asking for them. And I'm like, okay, you know, here goes another sacrifice. But the kids, again, had a complete opposite reaction. It was almost like they didn't see any of that. It was just, hey, Granny, we miss you when you're coming home. And my mother's mood changed instantly. It seems like as soon as she heard their voices, she just perked up. So I'm saying, you know, here I go again, overthinking, trying to protect the kids. But in reality, it's like this is helping her. So fast forward again and I'll get back into some of the details later on. But my mother passed. So I already told my wife, the kids are not going to the funeral. Like no questions asked. I'm not introducing my kids to death. They've never been to a funeral. They've never had to see anything of that nature. And, you know, I laugh and joke about scary movies and stuff. You know, Peyton acts like he, he likes scary movies, but then at night he's running in the bedroom like a typical kid. So I'm saying if that's the reaction on a movie or I'm scared and like they still sleep with a nightlight type stuff, they got to have a light on. So why would I let them see an actual deceased person like no that's that's out of the question so me and my wife kind of agreed to that so we was like no we don't want them to see that but family members are like you know are you bringing the kids home are you bringing the kids home and i'm like no and it was met with some disappointment you know like why not why aren't you bringing the kids and that's where, like I said, this is my first I respectfully disagree because it's like, you know, to each his own. You can't tell a person when or when not to introduce certain things to the kids, whether it's death, uh, the birds and the bees, uh, drinking. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody's different. How you raise your kids is how you raise yours. And don't question me on how I raise mine is how I've always felt. So I said all of that to say this. We're sitting here making arrangements, setting everything up, and it shows you how smart my kids are because they start noticing that I'm not going to the hospital every day. Dad, why aren't you going to see Granny? Where's Granny? And my mother passed on December the 20th, five days before Christmas, a week before Christmas. And I'm saying to myself, I'm like, I'm not burying my mother around Christmas. And my brother and I agreed to do it after Christmas. 
So the whole goal was just try to get through Christmas the best you can and don't let the kids know. So we go through all of this Christmas Eve, get everything set up. Santa Claus comes. We wake up Christmas Day. The kids are so excited to where at the time it hadn't crossed their mind. Like, hey, I haven't talked to Granny today. So I'm thinking like, good, like, I don't I don't want to go through this. And we go to my mother-in-law's house and everybody's over there, you know, open up presents. Of course, like I said, it's COVID. So, you know, we wasn't a house full, you know, different families would come at intervals or whatever. So they're exchanging gifts, got the Christmas music going. And then it hit me like it just hit me out of nowhere, man. And I just I got up and just walked out the room and I just kind of cried to myself. Just listening to the Christmas music, listening to the kids opening up presents. And that's when I was just like, dude, like, my mother's not here, man. Like, this is crazy. Like, she's not here. And I just kept thinking about all the Christmases where she couldn't make it. We always would FaceTime so she can watch the kids open their gifts. Like, she always, like, it don't matter what time they woke up, turn the camera on. She was sitting right there watching as they opened gifts. So we would record it and send it to her so she can watch it. And I'm just sitting there looking at my kids opening up presents. And I was just like, dude, like this would be the time where she would just be talking about all the stuff they got. And she's happy to see their faces and this and that. And I realized like she wasn't here. So like I said, I uh, went in the back, but when I came out I guess, you know, my eyes were still watery kind of, you know, moping around. And in the middle of opening presents, Paige looked at me all the way across the room and she dropped what she was doing and came over there and she gave me a hug. She was just like, it's okay, daddy. Not even knowing what's going on. And I was like, for that child to, to, to see that and react that way, I was just like, dude, like these, these kids are smarter than we're trying to give them credit for. Like they, they know what's going on. And it was probably two or three days after Christmas when the kids was in there playing and uh, Christmas was on a Friday. So this was Sunday because we was getting ready to watch Power. Me and my wife's getting ready to watch Power. And we heard the kids in there playing and they was playing with their baby dolls. And I heard Aubrey say, I'll be the mom, you be the granny. And then they got up. It was like, is granny still in the hospital or did she go back to Clinton? And I tell you, man, that was the hardest hardest conversation that I could possibly have because I'm saying to myself, I'm like, man, I, I can't keep pretending, can't keep lying to these kids. So we called them in the room and we were just like, hey, you know, sit down. You know, we we told y'all that Granny was really, really sick. And we we want y'all to know that Granny told y'all that she loved you and to be good and she will talk to y'all the next time she sees you, but she had to go talk with Jesus. That's exactly what I said. Thinking that maybe the kids are going to start questioning, you know, what does that mean? What is this? What is that? And I'm like, you know, we still don't know how we're going to break this to them, but we're trying to like, I ain't going to say dumb it down, but like make it make sense to a child. And that's when Paige just bust out crying. Aubrey gets up, goes in her room, Gets in the bed, gets under the cover. She's crying. 
And Peyton had the reaction that I thought all three of them were going to have. Peyton is kind of like, uh, what's going on? Like, what is it? I don't understand. Peyton literally said, I don't understand. But Paige knew. And I think Paige is the one that understood it the most. And they cried and cried and talked about how they, they missed Granny and they was never going to see Granny again. And we was like, well, you know, if you pray, you can talk to Granny every night. When you say your prayers, you can talk to Granny every night. She's looking down on y'all. She's watching y'all, blah, blah, blah. And we somewhat had to explain this a little bit to the kids because my uh, my father-in-law passed. And this was when my wife was pregnant with Aubrey. Her father passed while she was pregnant. So they never had an opportunity to meet their grandfather. But of course, you know, they see different pictures and things like that. So they ask questions and we just kind of talk, you know, Paul's in heaven, blah, blah, blah. But this is different because they actually had a, a bond. They had a relationship with my mother. And when I tell you, man, they cried and man, it, it broke me down. And I'm saying to myself, there's no way in hell that I'm letting these kids see my mother in a casket. And I'm glad I didn't, because ever since we told them kids, Paige has been having a hard time sleeping at night. My mother left her blanket here and she asked, can she have her blanket? And she walks around the house with this blanket. But at night, for whatever reason, that child cannot sleep. And I'm saying to myself, like, that's just something that I just feel like kids are not ready to experience. And not only that, my grandfather passed. In 1991, I was seven years old. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that funeral. I remember to this day, he had on a gray suit. I remember it all. And I couldn't have been no more than Aubrey's age. Take it a lot back. I just said I was seven. So I was younger than Aubrey. And I remember that. And I'm saying to myself, that's something that I would never put my kids through. Not until they're old enough to understand and comprehend how that works. So it's just like, man, it, it hurts. It hurts. It really does. It hurts. But moving on to my next point, which is when is the right time for people to reach out? Or when is the right time for people to start making posts on social media? Because that's something else that I respectfully disagree with and again i know everybody's different and for me it's like i'll use the kobe bryant situation we're sitting here at the house watching tv laying around not really paying attention and i get a phone call from tink he's like man do you hear anything about kobe dying i was like nah man i ain't heard nothing i was like uh if that would have been, if that would have happened, all TV would have shut down. And uh, he's like, man, I'm looking at ESPN. Ain't nothing on ESPN. I was like, I don't see nothing either. And I was like, well, if I hear anything, you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll call you back. Cause he's a, he's a diehard Kobe fan, huge Laker fan. And, um, you know, we get off the phone. So I start scrolling through Instagram, Facebook and stuff. And then all of a sudden, like a ticking time bomb social media just explodes oh my god kobe passed kobe passed kobe died in a helicopter crash 
And I'm like, no way. Like social media broke the news before TV broke the news. And finally it comes across the TV, but then also they're at the site, like the helicopter, it had just happened. And I'm saying to myself, I'm like, how are people that quick to get to the scene and be recording and have their phones out and do this and do that when it just happened? Like, where is the privacy for the family? Like, and then come to find out, Vanessa didn't even know it. She found out through TMZ. Like, people are calling her to say that her husband and her daughter were in a helicopter crash. So even in that situation, like, I was pissed. And I'm saying, like, dude, like, social media, like, it has its pros and cons, and that is definitely a con. Like, people find out that their loved ones have have passed through social media where somebody else who's not really impacted by it directly will go on there and thoughts and prayers with such and such, sorry for your loss, and you get on there like, wait a minute, man, what are you talking about? I know y'all joking, right? And then you're, all these emotions run through your body and hurt, anger. For me, I was pissed. So that's why I'm saying, like, uh, I disagree with the notion that people should just jump on social media and sorry for your loss, prayers and this and that. And it's like, I get the gesture. I get what you're attempting to do but it's like damn like the immediate family don't even know yet like chill with all that give us time to talk to people and get our raw emotions out before we sit down and start talking and I kind of got out of character because for those that don't know and I'm gonna go ahead and get this off of my chest too because a lot of people don't know like I said, my mother had her surgery. They wanted her to go to rehab. And the plan was for her to rehab for about a week or two to try to get her weight back up because she had lost a lot of weight. Like she was almost under 100 pounds. So they got the tumor removed, as I stated before, but they wanted to do a few chemo sessions to make sure all the cancer cells that they, you know, might be floating around, can be shrinked and kind of dissolved or however that works. I don't know the right terminology for all of that. They wanted to kill off whatever whatever cancer cells were still remaining. So they removed her lung. The lung was so big, it started growing and attaching to some of her ribs. They had to remove some of her ribs. So again, they wanted her to go to rehab. So while she was in rehab, she had a, a setback. And her white blood cell count kept spiking, but they couldn't figure out why. Now, keep in mind, it's the middle of COVID. She's in a rehab facility with no visitation. She's in her by herself. And it's, it's killing me to know that, you know what I'm saying? My mother is within 20 minutes of where I'm at, but I can't see her. I can't physically touch her. So we would FaceTime and stuff, and she asked for different little snacks I guess the food there was terrible. And uh, I was like, whatever you want, I'm bringing it out there. Because like I said, in the beginning, for those who have experienced cancer or know somebody who has, it's hard for them to eat. 
you know, my mother kept saying everything tasted nasty. She didn't want to eat anything. She was basically forcing herself to eat. And after she had the surgery, it was, it was almost like everything just came back. You know, she's sitting there eating in the hospital. I was sitting there with her after the surgery. I went up there every day. She's eating meatloaf, mashed potatoes, sherbet. Orange sherbet was her thing. So every meal she has sherbet with it. So that's what I'm saying. You know, we're all excited because, you know, we're like, okay, her appetite's coming back. They got the tumor removed. Boom. Like, you know, we're on the right track. So I'm I'm going all the way back in my mind saying to myself, I can't wait to write a letter or next time I see these doctors back home, I'm going to tell them, like, how many people did you cancel because you just assumed that surgery wasn't an option? You just tell people that there's nothing that you can do. But in reality, there is something you can do, at least try it. As long as the person is willing to consent to trying who knows? You may prolong somebody's life. So I'm saying to myself, like, I can't go visit her. So anytime she wants snacks, cupcakes and stuff, I'm not hesitating. I'm taking it out there. But that's when they called and said that her white blood cell count was up. And they couldn't figure out why. So they had her sent back to the emergency room. And this was Black Friday. Like I said, these these events, I'm I'm never gonna forget. I almost want to say I'm I'm traumatized. I'm sitting there trying to protect my kids, but in reality, maybe I need to go see some professional help. And like I said, hopefully this podcast will help me, you know, get a lot of this out. That's why I said I'm not pressed for no time. This is gonna be lengthy, and I just I don't care. Um. So uh, this is Black Friday. And they're like, we're taking her back to the emergency room. So I drop everything that I'm doing and uh, go to the hospital. And uh, she's she's sad. She's just like ready to give up. Why can't I catch a break? Every day I keep getting met with bad news. Now, keep in mind, she had her surgery in October. She went from my house to the hospital the morning of her surgery straight to rehab. So she hadn't been in my house or seen the kids for over a month. And um, so you got to imagine like what somebody's going through mentally. She's not from Louisville, born and raised in Clinton, Kentucky. You're in this rehab facility with people you don't know. Still to this day, I have no idea how they were treating her. Um, and it was just like mentally she was just she was just tired. Like she she wasn't understanding why everything was happening the way it was. And you know, you try to be positive, you try to comfort people, try to give them reassurance. But it was just like, you know, all right, she's she's not hearing it. So it's just kinda like, look, man, you just gotta pray, give it all to God, and we'll get through this. We'll get through this. So another day or two passes. They run some more tests. And it comes back that the cancer was spreading. It became aggressive and spread. 
And I'm saying to myself, like, this was the whole reason for us doing the the rehab to start the chemo so it wouldn't spread. But the doctors just felt uncomfortable doing it because of how small she was. Like, she had lost that much weight to where they were saying that if they do the chemo, that it's going to be extremely hard on her. And based on her eating habits after the surgery, we assumed that everything was going to be okay. Everything's going to go according to plan. And that's something else that I want to touch on later on is like, we don't move on, on our time. And for those that are religious or believe in Jesus Christ, we've all heard that you move on God's time. You don't move on your own time. You consider and make plans all day long, but you still moving according to God's time. And I personally had to learn that the hard way. I really did. So, again, we thought we had plenty of time to get her rehabbed, get her weight up a little bit, and start the chemo. But within a matter of two or three weeks after the surgery, it had already got aggressive and began to spread. It spread into her other lung, and it spread into her brain. So it's like, man, having to go in there every day and watch her health deteriorate day by day. I'm trying to tell y'all, like, that ain't nothing that I would wish on anybody. And I know life is not a movie. Life is not a sitcom. But it's like you, you think that in life, when you're getting ready to lose a loved one, that it's going to be picture perfect. They're sitting there, laying in the bed, comfortable, peaceful. They've accepted things how how it how it is. You you picture somebody in their eighties, nineties. They've lived a full life, got to experience so many things, and they're they're okay. They're at peace, and they just drift off. You know you 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 want it to be storybook, but it's. It's like from the time we found out in August to now the end of November, I watched my mother lose weight. I watched my mother barely be able to walk. I got to move her around, get her to doctor's appointments in the wheelchair. She can't even build up the strength to stand on a scale to take her weight. So it's like we're basically putting her on the scale in a chair and just kind of, you know, ad lib it like, all right, if we deduct four or five pounds, this is kind of how much you weigh. She didn't even have the strength to do that. It got to the point to where she didn't even have the strength to feed herself anymore. And that's the part that is like, it was uncomfortable for me to even have to talk about it over the phone with people. Because it's like every time I have to tell this story or talk about it, it's like, dude, like I got to I got to relive this over and over and over and keep talking about it over and over and over. And it was just it was hurtful, man. Like it hurt. It's hurting now. Like I'm, I'm trying not to crack. I really am. I'm trying not to crack. But it's like somebody that you that you love. And it's always been in your corner and, and you trying to be there for them. And it's just like, you're helpless. 
like you're you're watching it you begging and praying like mama please you got to eat something you got to drink something drinking sure like man right now upstairs man we probably got a hundred hundred things to insure cases after case sitting up there and shout out again the team man appreciate you but it's like you know we're you got to eat, got to drink in shore. Like we trying to pump as many calories in you as possible. You got to do this. You got to keep fighting. Excuse me. But it's like she didn't even have the strength to open her mouth. I'm up here every day trying to feed her. I'm giving her sips of water. She can barely open her mouth to even take a sip of water. So the thing is we agreed to at that point. Sorry. The doctors are like, we can try brain radiation or we can let her come home and be comfortable and let different loved ones come to visit and be at peace with where she's at. But, you know, my family, my brother, they were not ready to let go. Like I said, I've, I've had experience with cancer, had experience with family members that, you know, we got the hospice and stuff involved. And my grandmother didn't have a, a pleasant experience with that. So I can understand why she's like, no, I don't want to put my daughter on hospice. But this is where my, again, respectfully disagree comes in at on a whole different situation. It's like, do you step up and say something? Because in your mind and in your heart, you feel like this is the right thing to do. Or do you bottle all of that to protect everybody else's feelings? Because at that point in time, I'm just going to be honest, I accept it where my mother was at. I felt like she accepted where she was at. She had some conversations with me that I'm not going to disclose here on the microphone. That's not for the world to know. But we we both were kind of, all right, we, we, we fought this. We tried it. This is just where we're at. So mentally and deep down in my heart and soul, I had accepted that my mother was no longer going to be here. But again, like I said before, we don't move on our time. We move on God's time. So I felt like that wasn't my call to make. So after a long conversation with my family, we all agreed that we were going to try the, the brain radiation. And it goes back to the kids one more time, because the last day before all of this happened, I let the kids talk to her and it was like she perked up. She, she started eating. She was feeding herself like this whole entire week. She couldn't eat, couldn't drink, couldn't do nothing. But when she saw those kids, she sat up. I put this on my own life. She sat up and was sitting there eating and was talking. And she told the kids, you know, can't wait to come home and see you. And that's when she said out of her own mouth that she wanted to try the brain radiation. 
So we're like, you know, excited, like, okay, cool. We can ready to beat this thing right here too. Like we done already beat the the tumor. Now we're going to beat the rest of this. Like, come on. If these doctors are saying that, that they're going to try some more stuff, then, then let's go. And, you know, my brother made a post on social media and, you know, he was excited. And, you know, I saw all the comments, you know, you know, God is good. We're going to keep you in our prayers. Da, 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 da. But I said all of that to say this, in order to do brain radiation, you have to be outpatient. She was inpatient in the hospital. She was admitted into the hospital. So that means that she couldn't do the brain radiation unless they discharged her. So they set up an appointment for Monday, December. That was Monday, December the 3rd. Yeah, December the 3rd, because we found out on December the 1st that the cancer came back and was spreading. And um, take that lie back. She had an appointment for Tuesday, December the 7th. December the 3rd is when they set to discharge her. So she was excited. You know, I'm ready to come home. I haven't seen my grandbabies. That's all she kept saying. I can't wait to see my babies. So when I left Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday night, when I left Wednesday night on the second, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to work. When I get off of work, I'll come down here, pick you up and we'll go home. You can spend the weekend at home. And then Monday, we're going to start this, this brain radiation stuff and get off of work, get dressed Come on up to the hospital. And as soon as I walked in the door, I was blown back. Because it this it felt like her health had dropped even more from the time I walked out of the building the night before. And I text my wife immediately. I said, I don't feel comfortable. I said, I don't want to take her out of here. My wife is trying to, you know, reassure me like, we got this. I'm going to be here to help. Don't worry. God's, God's got us this far. Don't worry. But in my mind, I was just like, dude, like, don't take her out of here. Don't take her out of here. And I, I, I know we're not supposed to live with regrets. Everything happens for a reason. But I can't help but to ask myself, what if I wouldn't have took her home that day or attempted to take her home that day? So I bought her a change of clothes up there and she didn't even have the energy to get dressed. It took three nurses to help get her clothes on. So it's freezing cold outside. I go down to get the car. The nurse was like, we'll, we'll bring her down. They had a wheelchair and, um, we get to the car and she didn't even have the strength to raise her foot up to get in. So I'm sitting here talking to him like, Mama, you got to You got to try to get in the car. And all she kept saying to me is, I can't. She barely had enough energy to say, I can't. So we pick her up, put her in the car, put the seatbelt on her. And 
she didn't even have enough strength to sit upright. Like I had to build a barrier to keep her from falling over. And I know this is graphic. If anybody's still listening, I apologize again. Like I said, this is for me. This is this is therapy for me. So um, I just I want everybody to understand what happened and why my reactions to all of this was the way that it was. So we had to build a barrier just to keep her from falling over. And again, that's where I made my mistake at for going down there by myself. I should have had my wife go with me or somebody go with me. But um, we get in the car, get the seatbelt on. And I got from downtown, for those that live in Louisville, I got from downtown, from Jewish, down to uh, First and Hill. And I kept trying to talk to her. I was like, Mama, you got to talk to me. Like, something didn't feel right. Like, she wasn't having no conversation. Like I said, she barely had enough energy to talk to me to tell her to get in the car. So I called Kevin. I'm like, man, something ain't right. Something ain't right, man. You got to talk to her. So I turned the video on for Kevin. And I'm holding the phone trying to get him to talk to her, keep her occupied so I can drive home. And I don't have to worry about keep checking her and checking traffic. Because like I said, it's the middle of the uh, uh, rush hour. It's like four or five o'clock. Everybody's getting off of work. And I kept talking to him like, Mama, you all right back there? You all right? And in the beginning, she was at least making a noise. You know what I'm saying? Like she was responding, but she didn't have the strength to just open her mouth and talk. But then I didn't hear no sound. I didn't hear no sound. And I looked back there and she had her mask on and she had her hat on. And like I said, she done lost so much weight to where, you know, her hat was almost bigger than her head. So I really couldn't see her face for real. She was kind of leaned down. So I'm like, dude, man, pull over, pull over, pull over on the side of the road. And again, I apologize. But for those that did not notice, pull over and I opened the door and she was not breathing. She was not breathing. So I'm screaming, panicking, get off the phone with Kevin. I'm like, dude, I got to call 911. Get 911 on the phone. I'm screaming, yelling, cussing at the operator, praying. I'm, I'm begging God, please don't let this be what 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 I think it is, don't let this be my mother's last moments here on earth. I don't want this to be my last experience with my mother. Like she's not breathing, there's no pulse. So the operator's like, pick her up, get her out of the car, put her on the sidewalk. You're gonna have to try to do CPR. Never done CPR a day in my life. Don't know nothing about it other than what you see on the TV. So I'm telling her, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I'm scared. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm sitting here trying and trying. And that's when I, it came to me that she had surgery. Her left lung was removed. And it's like 
I'm pushing down and it's like I can I can feel that that side is hollow. They're like push down, push down, 30, whatever they say it. And uh, I'm just sitting here screaming, praying, asking for somebody to help. By this time, man, people are looking. I'm just sitting there replaying it all over and over and over in my head. Like people are looking, but nobody's coming to help. And I'm sitting here screaming. I'm talking about helpless. Like somebody, please come help me. Like, please come help me. And my mother's laying on the cold sidewalk, not breathing. So I finally heard the ambulance. And they have to basically cut her clothes off. And they start sticking her with the little EpiPen things. They start doing uh, CPR, pushing on her chest, and they're pushing so hard, and she's not moving. She's not responding. Nothing is happening. I'm sitting there screaming and crying. I, I finally get Kevin back on the phone because I'm telling him, like, what is going on, and I'm just screaming and screaming and crying. I see them hit her with the little uh, shock things, what's it called, uh, defibrillator or whatever. My mind ain't even working right now. That's how crazy this is all going. And I apologize. Like I said, I don't even know what I was thinking about talking about it. And I apologize for anybody that's uncomfortable. But it's like, I just feel like I got to get this off of me. But it's like they hit her with the little shock thing. She's not moving. She's not moving. And I'm like, dude, my mother done died in the back of my car. When I felt like I shouldn't have took her. Shouldn't have even left the hospital. So I'm, I'm beating myself up. I'm beating myself up through all of this. And she went probably 30 minutes to where she was not with us. The ambulance people were no longer in a rush. They put her in the back of the ambulance. And they came over there to try to calm me down, talk to me. And it's like, I, I remember it like it just happened like five minutes ago. And I remember Kevin like, man, what's going on? What, what, what are y'all doing? What y'all doing? And I'm like, they just got in an ambulance. I was like, man, mama died. I just kept saying, mama died, man. Mama died. She's not here. Mama died. And the ambulance people were like, um, just follow us downtown. But don't be in a panic. Don't rush. Just follow us. Just drive normal. Um, so I'm saying to myself, like, dude, I done made up in my mind that mom has died. I call my dad. I tell him. I told Kevin to tell Granny. And I get down to the hospital and the irony in all of this is we go through the emergency room and I'm at the same hospital where I took my wife when they called to tell us that my father-in-law had a heart attack or had passed and they had rushed him to the emergency room and she's pregnant. I drove all the way from Lexington doing like a hundred 
And we pulled up at that very same hospital, that very same spot. And I remember my wife breaking down. And here I am out here in front of this hospital by myself, screaming and crying. My wife comes to that very same spot. So now she's emotional. And it shows you how, like I said, we're on God's time because the ambulance was able to get a heartbeat. They was able to get a heartbeat. They put her on life support. So at the time, I have had no conversation with anybody other than my brother, my father, and that's it, and my wife. I hadn't called anybody, hadn't said nothing. So keep in mind, man, this, I'm talking about a state of shock. Like I can't even explain the emotions that ran through me through all of that. Like it was just a blur. And I get home and I get on social media and it's sorry for your loss. Renita was a wonderful person. She was a wonderful this. She's a wonderful that. Sorry for your loss. Sorry for your loss. But at that time, my mother was, was here. She had left for a brief moment, but they got a heartbeat back. She's on life support. They're running tests to see why her heart has stopped. And come to find out, she went into cardiac arrest. I don't know if it's because it was too cold or, you know, the air out there, you know, put her in the shock. But they're saying that she wasn't getting enough oxygen. Now, keep in mind, she only has one lung at the time. She wasn't getting enough oxygen. And her heart stopped. So I'm pissed. And now in hindsight, you know, I can apologize to those on social media when I made the post, but I feel like that was the quickest way for me to get my, my point across. And I knew everybody would see it. So I got on there and I, I used some choice words, but I, I was like, look, my mother's not gone. I think it's rude. I think it's disrespectful to be sitting here. Sorry for your loss. Sorry for your loss. Sorry for this and that. When the, at that time, nobody had even posted anything on social media. So it's like for y'all to just have the audacity to just jump on her and start touching buttons and clicking and saying this and that. I mean, I, I get what you were trying to do, but I just feel like people don't take in consideration the people that don't know yet. Or the people that log on to see that, like, wait a minute, bro, what the fuck are y'all talking about? Sorry for your loss. What the hell done happened that I don't know about when I'm the person of con? I'm the point of contact. The whole time she's on life support, unconscious, anything that they had to do had to go through me. I had to give the consent. Even if they drew blood, I had to give consent. They was calling me two, three o'clock in the morning to tell me what all they was finna do and they needed my permission. So I'm livid. And that's why I'm saying, like, I respectfully disagree with the notion that people should just jump on social media and send condolences and send this and that and gossip, because that's all the hell it is, is gossip. And people sitting around being nosy, trying to read posts to figure things. I mean, I got so many friend requests from people that I don't even talk to people I ain't seen in 20 years, probably 
15 years. And I'm saying to myself, I'm like, are you are you trying to be genuine and reach out to me and contact me and you know send me some well wishes or prayers for me and my family? Or are you trying to add me so you can be nosy because everything is floating around Clinton, Kentucky, that my mom has died and this and that. And here I am now, my emotions done changed again because I done got peed off again. But I'm gonna calm down because like I said, I understand the the gesture. But I was just like, dude, like, you're gonna call to tell me sorry for your loss, or you're gonna send me a message sorry for your loss. And my mother is fighting for her life. She ain't she ain't left. This was December the 3rd. My mother came to. She opened her eyes. Unfortunately, they had to put a uh, trachea in her neck. So she was no longer able to talk, use her voice. But we could read her lips. So she was sitting up there speaking to us. And she was able to shake her head and agree. So she came to. She came to. It was, again, miraculous. And I'm saying to myself, again, this is this is all God's time. So I was like, you know what? I made up in my mind that this all happened. And this was the opportunity for Kevin to fly home from Texas to say his last goodbyes. Because throughout this whole entire process, only one person can go into the hospital because of COVID. And that one person was the designated person for the patient's entire stay. So it ain't like I could go up there one day, Kevin go up there the next day, Angelina go up there the day after. It was, I was the only person that can go in there every day for however long she was in the hospital. And it got to the point to where we even broke the rules because Kevin went up there. I was like, dude, like, no, like uh, my mother just went in a cardiac arrest in the back of my car. I feel like this was meant to happen, that they got her heartbeat back so Kevin can go up there and have some closure. So Kevin went up there and got to spend a week with her. And at this point, you know, we're like, okay, she's on life support. Again, we've all agreed that, okay, we're going to keep her on here as long as possible. But at this point in time, it was like, we're preventing the inevitable. Like the the doctors are pretty much saying that it's not too much more that they can do. And when they did the CPR, the people in the ambulance, they broke several of her ribs. So she was so sedated and, and medicated to where she couldn't feel anything, but her body had went through so much. And again, I'm saying to myself, I'm tired of looking at my mother like this. I'm tired of seeing her hurting. I'm tired of seeing her suffering. And I'm like, we've, we've put her through way too much because it had gotten to the point to where she's saying that she, she no longer wants to be here. She said, I'm ready to go be with God. And like I said, couldn't hear her voice, but I read her lips. And I reiterated, like, is this what you're saying? You're saying that you're done trying. And she gave the consent. She gave the consent that she was done fighting. She understood that it was nothing else that could be done. And 
I said to myself, well, I'm going to have it arranged to where my grandmother can at least be there in her last moments, because I'm saying that I've seen it once already. I saw my mother leave in the backseat of my car. I don't want to see that again. Like I'm terrified, terrified, like didn't even want to go to the hospital no more. Terrified. So I'm like, I don't want to see it again. So I'm under the impression that everything is going to be put in place to where my grandmother, my aunt can come up and it was supposed to be set up to where they take her off the ventilator while they were there. And that way, you know, like I said, that gives my grandmother closure, you know, who, who wants to see their child leave this earth. Nobody really wants to go through that, but I'm saying that my grandmother, due to COVID, hadn't been able to see her since like October before she had surgery. So it's been two months since she had seen her. And I'm saying like, you know, I felt like this was the right thing to do. And the day came and I had already mentally prepared myself. I cried and cried and cried. I honestly don't think I've cried this much in my entire life. And you know how men try to be tough or whatever you want to call it. But I cried. I'm talking about crying. Snot coming out your nose crying. Head hurting crying. And the night before, I had said my goodbyes. Said everything that I wanted to say to her. She was alert. She was up. She was crying. And I had made up in my mind that this was the last time that I was going to see my mother. And again, that just shows you how how God works because they got the paperwork mixed up. So they were not able to take her off the ventilator with my grandmother and my aunt up there. And I thought about it and I was like, well, everything happens for a reason. Maybe it was because my grandmother wouldn't have been able to handle it. Again, not to put all of my family's business out or nothing like that, but I lost my aunt to cancer as well. So this would have been the second child that my grandmother had to experience this with. And I'm saying to myself, you know, maybe it's just God didn't want her to have to go through that. So again, due to COVID, they had to go back home. I'm not going to say they drove up here for nothing because at least they got to see her, spend the evening with her. Uh, visitation was from 10 to 7 every day so they got to be here with her clear up until that evening that night but I had to mentally go back up there the next day Kevin was already back in Texas my grandmother's back at home so I'm saying to myself I'm like I've mentally prepared myself for this on multiple occasions I thought my mother left me in my car I thought my mother was scheduled to go while my grandmother and them were here. So it's like mentally, dude, like I have I have racked my brain so much, so much to where it's like I'm almost numb. I'm almost numb to the fact of what we're going through. And they allowed my wife to go up there and be with me. So shout out to my wife. She's been there with me every step of the way through it all. 
She's been the one waking up at night, help my mother get her medications. If she was hungry, she helped take food in there. We all helped cook. Kevin was able to fly home multiple times. Kevin stayed here at the house. We all was in, in shifts, basically. It's like, you know, my mother was never able to just rest comfortably. She was always in pain on pain medicines and this and that because that tumor in her lung was hurting. It was causing her back to hurt. And the, and the more weight she lost, it became even more painful because now there's nothing there but just that tumor and you feel it. So it's like throughout this whole entire process, man, my, my wife was my rock. I'm going to say my rock, Kevin's rock, Granny's rock. She was our rock because even a lot of the paperwork, like <laughs> half the time, my mother done everything for me. She filled out my financial aid, filled out all this stuff growing up. I don't never do no paperwork to where even in college, I had chicks doing my paperwork for me or my wife now, but she was my girlfriend then doing paperwork for me. Even as an adult, my wife still do the paperwork, but it's like now I'm her caregiver. So everywhere I go, I got to fill out this paperwork. I'm carrying these insurance cards. I'm calling this person, calling that person, setting up appointments. And I'm saying to myself, like, I wouldn't change it for the world. But it's like, again, they they allowed my wife to go up there with me. And my wife was there with me in that moment when we said our last goodbye to my mother. But again, here goes social media. I go from saying goodbye to my mother. My mother passed at three... 28 December the 20th 2020 and by 4 30 5 o'clock my phone is blowing up phone call after phone call voicemail after voicemail text message after text message to the point to where I had to turn the phone off and I'm like, dude, excuse my language. What the fuck is wrong with people? I just lost my mother. And you calling my phone as if I want to talk. As if I'm ready to talk. I get on Facebook and it's just, I'm talking about inbox after inbox, message after message. And I'm at this point where I'm like, dude, don't be ugly with people. You know what I'm saying? Just just understand that people are just trying to show that they care. I hope it's genuine. I hope it's sincere. People trying to reach out to you. But I was just like the audacity of people to call me not even two hours after I had just lost my mother to talk to me on the phone. And first of all, I hate talking on the phone. Like I don't even like talking on the phone. And for people to do that, I'm talking about dude, like I was pissed. I was pissed, but again, everything worked out for the best and we were able to send my mother home properly. Like in the middle of COVID, we uh, were like, you know, we don't want to have a big service or nothing like that because, you know, coming into contact with people. So we agreed to have everything gravesite, gravesite. 
And the way it was all set up was January the 2nd, um, the immediate family was going to be able to go to the funeral home and see her for the last time. And everybody else was supposed to be at the cemetery. And it just shows you how everything works because granted, I hadn't seen my mother since December the 20th and shout out to my aunt and my grandmother. They picked out uh, a dress for her. Her favorite color was purple. For those that listen, I know y'all been seeing the purple hearts and all this and that. And her favorite color was purple, everything purple. And my grandmother and my aunt picked out a purple dress. So uh, my brother and I, we picked out some purple flowers and stuff for the casket and all of that. But I hadn't physically seen her since I left the hospital. And I know how she looked when I left the hospital. And I was just like, you know, that was just hurtful to see her in the condition that she was in. And like I said earlier, it's like you 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 make up in your mind that when you see somebody go, you have this expectation of they're just supposed to be peaceful, laying in the bed and everything's all right and this and that. And it was just like mentally for me, it was the exact opposite. It was the exact opposite. It hurt. It hurt to see her the way that she was. So going to the funeral, it's like mentally, I was just like, I don't even want to go. That's how bad it was for me. I was like, I don't even want to go. Like I contemplated on even going inside the funeral home. Like I was like, I don't want to see my mother laying in a box. But that is the best decision that I've ever made. Because when I walked in there and I saw her and I saw that dress and I saw those purple flowers, everything in me just went away and I was just at peace. And shout out to her friend, Amy, back at home. I'm not sure if you listen to the podcast or anybody that listens to it that's down there in Clinton. Please let her know that we are thankful for her as well, because she was a tremendous help throughout this entire process. And she's the one who did my mother's makeup and her hair. She helped do that for us as a family. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that because she looked amazing. She looked so amazing. And it was just like, okay, we're sitting here. And then out of nowhere, people just start coming in. And we're like, okay, what's going on? Like, I thought this was supposed to be private. Like, this was supposed to be just immediate family, you know, kids, siblings due to COVID. But people just kept coming, coming, coming. And that made it feel even more special. Because it's like this many people cared enough to come see her off. And then when we drove to the cemetery, it was almost 90 people out there. And y'all heard me tell you that Clinton is not that big. Clinton is not big. We had people come from Indiana, Charlotte, Boston. People came in from Boston. Some of her best friends growing up came in to see her off in the middle of a pandemic. And it was just like, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. 
And so many people just stopped us and told us about how wonderful of a person she was, how she was the sweetest woman. They was like, she never complained. She was always there to help people. And this is stuff that I already knew. Like, I didn't even need no reassurance from that aspect because I already knew it. And I hate that I drug all of this out. But like I said, it, it, it was needed. It was needed. I already feel somewhat better just talking about it. And we're going to leave it on a positive note because nothing can replace a mother's love. And I mean that. My mother was always there for me. My mother has always been my rock, my strength. Because for those that know me, I may talk a lot of trash on social media or when it comes to sports, I'm a big mouth on the court and things like that. But in reality, I'm a I'm a quiet person. I'm very reserved. Unless it's sports, something competitive, and then that's when another side of me comes out. But I'm always reserved. I'm very observant. So when it came to being in a room full of people, everybody's always thought that I'm antisocial. He don't like being around. He don't like this and that. But it ain't that. It's just I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable uncomfortable being in large crowds. I don't like being around a lot of people. So growing up when we used to have, you know, the Easter Easter program and the Christmas program and we had to go up there and say our speeches and stuff at the church. When it was my turn, I always would freeze up. I would always freeze up and you know how that come on, baby, you can do it. Everybody in the church. Come on, baby, you can do it. It's okay. Take your time. Take your time. And my mother would always come up there with me. And she would stand and allow me to turn my back to the crowd. She would stand behind me and I would talk to the wall and say my Easter speech or my Christmas speech. She was always that courage for me, man. <laughs> I was sitting there crying now. She was always that courage for me. No matter what it was, I can always count on her to be there. My mama taught me how to ride my bike. My mama taught me how to do a lot. I learned so much from my mother. And it's like... <laughs> Me and Kevin are like polar opposites. He he gravitated more to my father, but I was a mama's boy, homebody. I always wanted to stay home with mom. Kevin was the one to go to 4-H camp and sheriff's camp and do all that outgoing stuff. And as long as I was with my mama, I was cool, man. I went everywhere with my mama. Even to the point that when I got older and was able to help pitch in and help do different things and stuff to help her out, we and her just had this bond. Like, I can't even explain it. And I'm not even going to go into great details because some things are not meant to be said. But it's just like... My mother didn't have a lot. Everything she had 
She gave to others. She was always a provider for us. Her last was always our first. And that's how I knew that she was a wonderful person, a hardworking person. She never made no excuses for nothing. She just took every day as it was. You talk about waking up and not knowing what the day's going to bring. She is the perfect example of how to conduct yourself and not panic, not knowing. Where I'm the exact opposite. I try to plan everything to a T. Like, I'm always trying to plan my day out. And it don't never work that way. And I get mad when it don't work that way. But for whatever reason, I just realized that, again, you're on God's time. You're not on your own time. So she was the perfect example of you don't have no idea what the day is going to bring. But yet you keep your head up, you keep moving, you keep pushing and you don't complain. And that's why I'm saying like she she was an example for me of when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. You make lemonade. Like I said, we 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 saw some things growing up that some kids are not supposed to see. But at the same time, she made the best of it where some kids are would wouldn't be able to handle it. And that's why I, I tell my kids all the time, y'all don't know how good you got it. Because we 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 didn't have to live under some of those conditions. And my wife and I had to make some of those sacrifices on whether or not uh, we put food on the table or help pay a bill. And these are some of the things that we had to see growing up. Pay to keep the lights on or put food on the table. And I know a lot of people may be offended by what I just said. And I'm just going to say it because I don't have no reason to lie. I don't have no reason to sugarcoat nothing. This is all in honor of my mother. And personally, I don't give a damn who don't like it. I saw it with my own two eyes. I lived through it. Again, it was just me and my mother. I've had conversations with my mother that a mother and a, a child should never have. But we had them. So I'm saying all of that to say she never complained. She always found a way. We never missed a meal. We always had a roof on our head. Over our head. We never missed a meal. And I, I, I give all credit to her for that. Very mannerable to this day. I'm yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. To the point to where people get mad. Stop calling me, ma'am. I'm like, I can't help it. I can't help it. My mother's the same exact way. We sitting in the hospital. She's 62 years old. Them nurses coming in. Uh, you need anything? No, ma'am. You don't have to call me, ma'am. I'm younger than you. No, ma'am. <laughs> yes, sir. No, sir. And it's just, she is a reflection of me. Or I'm a reflection of her, however you say it. Everything that she exemplified rubbed off on me. And I'm thankful for that. 
quiet, mannerable, do whatever it takes to make things happen. All of that I, I picked up from her. And that's why I'm saying you can never replace a mother's love. And I'm going to wrap it up because I done got all teary-eyed and emotional again. And it's funny because my brother's calling me now and I'm going to holler at him. But um, I just want to thank everybody again for reaching out. All the messages that I complained about earlier. Just understand that at that time, I was just going through a lot. I was going through a lot. And hopefully people understand that and don't hold that against me. My heart was in the right place, but my mind was just like, I'm not ready to to, to deal with that. But thank you all for all the kind messages, the cards. People have been sending flowers. And I hope I hope they don't get mad at me for name dropping them. But I want to give a special thank you to Nikita and her cousin Delanda. They have both been there for me and my family from the very, very, very beginning. And again, that shows you how how God works, because I reached out to Nikita when we first was in the hospital all the way in Mayfield just to ask her some questions and just talk to her. And from that very moment, she was always calling or sending messages to, to reach out. And Delanda, they live here in Louisville now. They, you know, send messages, whether it's through my wife or one night, you know, they ordered us some KFC, you know, here, help take your mind off of stuff so you don't have to cook and this and that. And I best believe my mother told that KFC up. Cause that was in the beginning. Like I said, this was before all the, the trials and tribulations went through and the cancer kind of took over. But when she first got here, she was, she was upbeat. She was perky. She was eating and best believe she told that chicken up. So thank you. I really do appreciate it. And to all my partners, Chris, Dante, Daryl, P grip, Charles, Man, I appreciate every last one of y'all for the text messages, the phone calls. Dante, you come through to the crib a few times. We sat around and had some conversations, man. And I just like y'all have no idea what I was going through mentally. Because, man, I was just I was ready to give up on everything, man. I was so mad. And I hope God don't take it out on me, man. I was just like, dude, like it just felt like why do bad things happen to good people? And it's like you you see people who who, in in my opinion, don't necessarily do what's right or follow the footsteps of Christ and stuff like that. And it ain't for me to judge. And that, that might be why things don't happen the way I think they should happen, because technically I'm trying to judge other people's lifestyles and things of that nature. But I'm just saying, like, my mother never done nothing. My mother never done nothing to go against being a decent person and to know that she she didn't get to be that that person that I said earlier you know you land in a bed and, or they're laying in a bed and you see them gracefully go out that's something that in the beginning I was just like dude I was I was living mentally just tearing myself up 
And I get it. And that's why I said we we don't know. We don't know. So I'm not going to let that steer me down the wrong path because I was briefly upset. Again, everything happens for a reason. We're not supposed to question God. And I'm not. And that's why I'm saying I'm, I'm at peace with everything that has happened and how it happened. And thank you again for everybody for reaching out, sending your condolences. And hopefully we can just try to try to move forward. But man, there ain't a day that don't go by that she don't cross my mind. Well, I'll sit here and look at all these pictures and videos from us in the hospital. And she was sitting there mad because I was sitting there recording. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did because that's something that I can always reflect back on. And as far as my kids, they still talk about her and think about her. And I know that my kids were able to share that moment. And that's something that they are old enough to where they will always remember. They will always remember. And again, I'm ending with this. You cannot replace a mother's love as well as a grandmother's love. So until we meet again, mom, just know that we love you. And I'm speaking for myself and Kevin, my nieces and nephews, my children, my wife, Angelina, granny. I'm speaking for everybody. And I know you hear me. Just know we love you. And we'll definitely see each other again.